Hola, soy Miguel Matos Gonzalez, coming back to you on Firme, Cuentos y Arte Podcast. That's right, we're back. And keep the energy going, because of my awesome supporters out there, I truly appreciate you and love you. Thank you so much for the encouragement, the energy, and keeping the podcast going. On this new season, the second season, first episode, I'd like to introduce to you Ami and Terra Trinity from Mixed Collective. So, here you go. Tell us a little bit about Mixed Collective. Uh, Trinity, would you like to go first or would you like me to explain? <laughs> um, I, can, I can give like a very soft and then you can, you can take it. Cool. I would say that um, Mixed Collective is like a co-brainchild. It's a thought partnership. Um, really modeling transformational leadership where we are really trying to hone into artists who identify with mixed identities. And that really can encompass a variety of, of things. And, and really identity is so complex because it's how the world views you and it's also how you view yourself. So some folks that we primarily are trying to elevate and amplify are mixed racial, so multiracial, biracial um, folks, along with possibly even enveloping and encompassing transracial adoptees or even third culture. Um, but because Ami and myself are both mixed race and we both happen to be mixed race like Latinx and Asian Pacifica. That was kind of a wild ride to meet someone like you when you always feel siloed. So we really are also coming from an artist perspective or and also an arts administrator perspective. And, and uh, Ami can talk a little bit more about the dualities of of that and and how we became sort of the, on the precipice of what we're becoming now without experiencing what it feels like to be around people like me which is just mind-blowing and i love it no i i love this this concept of, of bringing this together because one of the things this reminds me of something i read not too long ago about people of, of mixed race and heritage that it seems that there are more people in the United States of mixed race than they are of anything else. I mean, there is so much multiculturalism in, in a single person, single family, that um, people just don't acknowledge it. People may not know how to, they don't think enough to. And it's, it's you know, your daily life moves forward, you know, work and, and, and what you do outside of work and family and friends that you just tend to disconnect. And I think that's what's happened with a lot of, of people in, in the United States of America is people have disconnected from their heritage and following language in the household, following culture in the household. Um, tell me a little bit about that, how, how language and culture has been for each of you uh, personally in the household and, and how you kind of try to maybe translate that into your artwork or, or what you bring to a community. Yeah. I 
absolutely. I could go first. So um, I identify as a mixed race, Japanese and Chilean, as well as Jewish person. My first language was Japanese, and I'm a very East Asian passing individual. Where when, when I share that I'm half Chilean, some folks are like, interesting, which we could talk about more <laughs> later in the conversation. Yeah. People using your identity as like a guessing game, but alas. <laughs> If you ever meet me in person, please do not do that, folks. But yes, absolutely. I am Japanese and Chilean, grew up speaking Japanese, and really identified more with my Japanese side because my name is Japanese, my first name is Japanese, and I look very Japanese. And so it wasn't until I became older and closer to my father where I was able to kind of learn more about my Chilean identity. And when in my youth, I was able to go to Chile a handful of times, but I um, spoke about this with Trinity as well. But experienced um, a lot of racism within both of my families um, as there was very, very interesting uh, acceptances or levels of acceptance as well as different slurs that were said. And so I feel like that kind of pulled me away from one part of my identity. But as I grow, grew older and been able to share that with my father a little bit more, it's made me feel proud of being able to balance both and being like, hey, I may not look like what you think Chilean is, but I am a Chilean person and I'm able to walk with that. And so that's been really interesting. And especially as I've grown older, um, I currently live in a Asian and Latinx neighborhood, Elmhurst, Queens, shout out. And so it's been really amazing to be able to kind of just walk around and feel pride and really grounded where I live. Nice, that's amazing. That's wonderful. I love that. I, you know, I was teasing Ami the other day because I was like, oh my God, you're so lucky that your, your neighborhood is like that. I said, I think the only time I've ever been in a, a location where I felt like my identities were represented, it's called the LA Mart. It's a supermarket. <laughs> it's around the DMV area. Okay. And, <laughs> and it basically one side of the supermarket is Asian and like Pacific Islander. And the other side of the supermarket is very Latin American. So I love it because I can go and pick up my Malta, but I can also pick up like my, you know, noodles for pancit. So it's, <laughs> nice. I said, that's the only place I think I've ever felt. Um, so in my personal experience, I, you know, <laughs> sorry, it, it, it gets me, it gets me every time. I, so my mother is Puerto Rican. I think a lot of times culturally, just globally, whatever culture your mother is, depending on your relationship with them, you know, cause there's always like single family homes too, mm -hmm. but usually that's the culture that sort of just embraces you. For me, I, I'm, Pacific Islander, Pacific uh, uh, passing. And I look very, you know, the Filipina side, I look very the native Hawaiian side. Um, mm. That's where my Puerto Rican side, and, and that's a whole other conversation too. Like what does Puerto Rican even look like? You know, I, I always get that. Uh, you don't look Puerto Rican. But similar to Ami, it's that it starts at home and it starts in the family of how people treat you and what they call you. And if you, you hear things like Chinita, you know, then you start really kind of wondering like, okay, so I, I look different from everybody else. And you know that you look different, but you also feel different even around your own family. And I am the only mixed race person in my family um, growing up that had my mix. Right. right. And, so even though I grew up with the Puerto Rican side mainly, um, I had the Spanish at home, 
Um, but really it was more English at home because both of my parents are English language learners and both of them didn't speak the same languages. Um, my father spoke Hawaiian, Ilocano and Tagalog growing up and then learned English. And then my mother, um, spoke Spanish on, you know, came from Puerto Rico, spoke Spanish at her home. And then, so the common language is English, right? Which also kind of jeopardizes my my English language vocabulary too growing up too because it's right. a little stunted right so for me I guess you know I went to a Spanish Pentecostal church growing up so not Jewish like Ami you and I love that <laughs> <laughs> but Spanish Pentecostal and 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 in thinking of the binary world that we live in which very centric to black and white here especially in the United States right and then I grew up in a binary thinking world of good and evil. Um, so it was very limited to, I think, just the foundations of people and how they think, the people I was surrounded by, of always placing you in the box. And so I, you know, remember as a child checking other all the time because I did, I did, there was nothing, there were no options for me. And then when I was around Latinos, it was, I wasn't Latina enough. Um, and when I was around Polynesian Pacific Islander, they wanted to claim me too, but at the same time, I didn't quite look like them or have their culture or knew their food and knew their language. So it, the otherization was really real. And so it just continued to spread and then being in very white spaces or very black spaces, I really just couldn't find that belonging. I totally feel what you're saying about how in the household, people have phrases and terms that they use sometimes jokingly, but they don't realize how that can have an effect on an individual's identity growing up. The parents don't recall any of the stories that the grandparents told them. So that history has stopped. How can you connect your heritage? How do you plan to, to share this and engage with uh, people of mixed race and mixed heritage? Um, before we answer that, and Ami, you can totally jump on that. I wanted to say something to something that you just said. So one of my mentors, Ron Murieta, you might know him. Um, <laughs> and he's located on the West Coast and he's Filipino. And I reached out to him a couple months ago because I really wanted to start learning my Filipino heritage, like the history, and especially how the coalitions between Filipinos and African Americans have yeah. been throughout, you know, the US American history. And he, you know, he was he was telling me that you need to start in your own family, learn your family history, as you want to learn other things, right. And so when you just said, like, trying to connect your own family history, it, it, it brings up all of those amazing feelings of like trying to research my family, mm -hmm. but it also brings up that trigger of things like ancestry or, you know, places like that, that also are very white and black centered, yes. especially in the U S right. So when I joined ancestry, I remember seeing all the commercials and they're mm -hmm. like, Oh, like you're going to learn your family history. And I'm like, yeah, that's if you like, have documents and family history, right? right. I went on and I'm like, okay, well, I was fortunate that my grandparents were both in the military. So right. there were some documents of that, right? right? But outside of that, and that was both sides. 
But outside of that, I don't know anything else mm -hmm. and I can't find anything else. And even in Puerto Rico, I remember years ago, I think it was right after 9-11, there was some sort of like a fire that happened in San Juan and a lot of these documents were lost. So right. like when things <laughs> like that happened, then you're like kind of SOL. Mm -hmm. and, and I just, I think of like how much more of a barrier, how, how many more barriers I we have as folks who fall outside of that binary to then try to even get those things from history. And I think that's also why I look into art. So we can talk about that later, but I that really spoke to me when you said that. And that's a lot of who I think we are, me and Ami. And I, I know I can speak from personal experience of like how it informs what I do now. So, but Ami, take away that question that he just asked. I just, I just wanted to make sure I, I said something. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, absolutely. What are the plans for the future for Mixed Collective? That's a really fantastic question because I think this is ever changing and ever growing as more folks come into our circle knowing about Mixed Collective. So we kind of first started as, okay, let's get some folks together having a general meeting. Let's have conversations with other mixed race artists and arts administrators in the field. And then now we have a Instagram account at Mixed Collective we are able to share what um, mixed race artists are doing within the field. And we're hoping to have more content about what does mixed race identity look like in the intersections of the arts, as this is not something that's very much talked about within our field as well. And I think what's really beautiful about Mixed Collective is that though Tara and I are thought partners, this is very much member-led and very much community-led. And so if there's an individual who's like, I'm interested in this one specific storytelling, for example, or I really want to use this platform to discuss this, we are more than happy and open to welcome it and collaborate together in being able to share this out to kind of see where this goes because we've had so many phenomenal one-on-one -on -one conversations with folks in Detroit to Vermont, to the West Coast, to the East Coast. And it's just been really fantastic. Yeah, I think something that folks who have such pulcal identities is that we really have to have those one-on-ones, right? It's not a quick thing. It's not like a, okay, cool, I get you. Yeah, all right, cool, moving on. And it's about the quantity. For us, it's really, really honing in about quality. And by defining quality, just like Ami just said, we have these amazing riveting conversations with folks. And it's really taking our time to get to know each person because we understand the complexity of intersections because we stand in those intersections all the time. And so therefore, when we are reaching out to someone or we're having an engaging conversation, it's not the surface kind of stuff, right? That a capitalist society makes you do. It's more of like getting rid of that mindset and building what works for us. And so as Ami just touched on that we are leading by, as a collective, we're leading with different artists who have different fortes and different expertise, that makes it stronger, right? So it's not just like, we're just sitting at the top and we're like, okay, here's all the information. It's more of like, wait, what can you offer and then teach? And how do we have this cultural exchange happening all the time? So it's so cyclical and that's where we're coming from all the time. So even if we engage with some one person, it turns into this beautiful relationship. And what we're realizing is that people 
are becoming more invested into this idea because they feel a part of it. It's not just something that they're looking at or they're following. It's more of like, I want to be a part of this community that's being created specifically for me. And I'm getting to be a part of creating that community and extending it to other people specifically for them. That's absolutely <laughs> wonderful. And I, and I absolutely love that because it, it shows so much equity in, in an organization. And I also see it as quite empowering for people that have been, you know, on the fence, so to speak, about their heritage and where they come from is just so empowering. It's really inspiring to hear that. To bring your true authentic self, right? Yeah. Not just this like, oh, I have to be this person or, you know, this mentality of code switching right. or this mentality of how do I navigate so many different communities versus wait, how can this community navigate me mm -hmm. and how can we then build something together that is really, really, really equitable for every single part of who you are and not having to choose because we know as mixed <laughs> racial people, yeah. we are forced by society to choose a part of you. How many times have you been asked the question, what side are you more like? Or right. what, which identity do you identify with more? And these are very unfair questions that then go deep down into your psyche, making you feel like you're not a whole person. Mm -hmm. right? or that you're not bringing your whole self. And so we're trying to really just dismantle that yeah. thought. And maybe it might, you know, in the future, as it continues to extend and it continues to grow in its process, maybe it will extend to getting people who may not identify as mixed race to start thinking differently about what identity truly is. Absolutely. And I feel like Tara and I always joke with each other that because we come from mixed race identities, we're always in our heads and being able to think about the dualities, not only about our own personal identities, but as mentioned prior, being an artist, being a uh, facilitator, a moderator, being a family member, there's so many things that we're constantly thinking about the intersectionalities of. And I think that's a space that we're able to create within Mixed Collective is that people don't only need to think about their intersections and identities as a mixed race person, but also that with maybe gender identity, sexual orientation, geography, musical interest, or even artistic interest. There's so many things that you can explore even more in a very safe and welcoming environment because we in Mixed Collective truly understand these kind of dualities and what's, what y'all have been thinking about. Absolutely. In fact, when we first talked about the idea for the podcast episode, it immediately made me think of an event that happened that very same Arts Administrative Color convening. I was hosting the Latinx Affinity Space. I noticed that there was a name that kept popping in and out of the Zoom. And then finally, the name popped up and stuck around for a little bit. And immediately, this person, you know, with like a teary voice said, I don't know where I belong. I don't know where I belong. I don't know if I'm Latina enough to be here. I don't know. I don't know. I'm lost. And I've never felt so lost. And it absolutely hurt my heart to hear that. You know, and it was her and um, and her partner. And they're both from, from the same perspective of, you know, we've grown up in, in, in a white-centered space. So growing up here, we've learned English predominantly. 
our Spanish is eh, so-so. We don't even know our indigenous languages of Nahuatl. We've never even heard it, but we know that that's where we, our family kind of comes from. And again, that whole family disconnect. And that's a, a prime example of, of how important mixed collective is in our world because it's, it's, it's certainly touching on the arts, but it's also, I feel, touching at such a, a close personal level. As we had a talk, we talked about Latinidad, what it's like to be Latina, Latino, Latinx. And that's where, you know, I shared with them about my indigenous heritage and about my Latinidad. And it's kind of like, you're right. It's like people have asked us as far back as we can remember, which one do you identify with the most? I just want to be a person, you know, and it can happen, like you said, it, you know, it, it can happen just about anywhere. I feel it's something that people experience within their own families. They experience it at work. They experience it in school, you know, growing up in, in, in a community that, that may have other people of, of mixed race, but it's a matter of how that's expressed. Have you folks considered or maybe I don't know, reaching out to any youth programs to bring into education to help high school age teens or maybe even uh, college age students understand and help navigate and help be able to express? That is a really great, we, I, we are not there yet. But, <laughs> but you're going to be because you're awesome. We're going to get there, uh, Miguel, yeah. because, you know, I work in education currently. And then Ami also, and I, I can't speak for her, but um, does her dial program. So I feel like we are very, and, and I'm raising a child. I'm raising a mixed race child. And the people that we talk to, a lot of them are parents who are also like, wait, you know, because my, my son is more white passing. I, sometimes I just get mind blown with the things that he experiences because he's like i want to look like you i want to be darker and then with me i'm like when i was younger i wanted to look like my white passing mom i want to look like you because you're white you know so it, it, it's it's strange how things flip and reverse but i think reaching out to more youth because it would have been i think back to me and if i would have had coaching or not even coaching just a space to just talk and unload when I was 16, 15 at those prime impressionable ages, mm -hmm. I think it would have done a lot more for my journey of belonging um, versus now rediscovering who I am in a totally different way through the eyes of a parent specifically. Um, and, and, you know, and, and as I tend to mature in a world that's now more tolerant to having open discussions about race, where I think, and I don't want to go completely off tangent, but I, I know that like Ami and I, we, we always talk about how we were always forced to talk about race. So now that people are now beginning, getting to be more comfortable with talking about it, it's kind of like, I've been there my whole life. <laughs> I'm, I'm ready to lead in that conversation because I've, I've had decades of experience in that. But I think that going back to just the youth, I think that's a really great, thank you for giving that to us because that's something for sure that we should start to now process and think about. Yes, retweet. That was phenomenally said. I absolutely agree with what 
could a space like Mixed Collective been if it was there when we were teenagers or at a time that we are trying to navigate our identities? Because I think it, first off, our identities and how we identify ourselves are ever-changing. And also as mixed race identifying individuals, I think that's okay as we learn more about ourselves. But I think a space like this could have been so healing if we just were able to like chat and talk and being able to relate with other individuals and just thinking about when I was like a growing up and also a teenager I really really did not identify with my mixed race identity at all because I was Asian passing and I spent a lot of my time with my mother so I was like you know what I'm just Japanese but then a lot of Japanese people were like but wait a second you don't you don't look really and I'm like okay fine I guess okay I'll just I have to navigate this more which I'm, I'm very thankful to um being able to balance both identities. Yeah, and as we also continue the conversation of how whiteness and blackness continue to expand, mm -hmm. it also evolves the identity of what mixed race identity means, right? Because now I'm, I'm hearing more of people saying, well, I'm a black Latina, or I'm a, you know, an Asian this, or I'm a white this. And I'm like, oh, wow, those didn't really those terms weren't really embraced when I was younger. So I feel like now, and, and that's just, and also as whiteness expands too, to really hone in on that, because that's just white supremacy right there, right? It's, it's like how, how many more groups of people can we just like bring in so that we don't ever become a minority, right? Because we really are the global majority. And, you know, there's fear around that. So I think a lot of times when you know, as you, because I remember hearing when I was younger, well, in like 50 to 100 years, everybody's going to be mixed race. We're all going to look some sort of brown. And I'm like, what? You know, like, and that's like what people would say. And I would weirdly, I'd be kind of hopeful and be like, cool, everybody's kind of going to look like me when I get, you know, older. And that's false. Like, it's just not true. It because because of those supremacist values and it always continues to expand. So we, we do think about those things too, from that like racial or anthropological lens um, quite often. And actually we did bring in somebody into the collective who will be thinking from that lens specifically with us and how that creates even more, just a different narrative as time goes on, right? It affects people from a creative perspective from education, language, social, cultural norms. Is there any piece of advice that you'd give that, that younger version of you? I think the first thing that really comes to my mind is people don't define you, you define you. That people external to your life have not had the same lived experiences that you have and then the understanding of your own identity that you have. And so not letting people put a label on you. Like for example, I grew up in a white Jewish community. And when I would say, oh yeah, my dad is culturally Jewish. There would be completely a rejection of it of like, how can you be Chilean and Japanese and Jewish? Those things just don't add up. So, and I wish that I could have been like, they do. It's me. Um, and so I think being able to just really find grounding in that would have been nice of like, people don't define me, I define me. Oh my God, I, I'll get like all emotional if I get like totally into this question. So I'll just like, I'm gonna like elevate up what Ami said, but I, you know, back to me being a parent now of a, a mixed race child, I feel like I, 
I'd give him this advice, you know, all the time of like how to navigate these kinds of spaces, but you are perfectly you. That's who you are. And nobody can tell you differently. I knew who I was <laughs> when I was, when I, I, talking to my teenage self, 16, she probably would have slapped like 20 something me. Um, but, uh, and now she's probably like, oh, you're, you're, you're much more dope now. But when I was, I, this bring, and this is why I'm saying this brings me back. When I was 14, I had just moved back from New York and I was in South Jersey and it was very racist white town. Um, a lot of people don't remember it that way because they were white. <laughs> um, but I'm like, yeah, my experiences uh, with that, uh, it, it was very different, right? And I remember getting up on stage and I was running for class, I think secretary, it's something like that. One of the class officer things. And I wrote my speech and I gave it to, at the time, my boyfriend. And he was the student council president. And he highlighted one sentence and he says, I think you need to take this sentence out. And I remember looking at it and the sentence was, I am proud to be Puerto Rican, Hawaiian and Filipina. Like I put that in there, I was 14. Cause my mom taught me well. She's like, you a proud Boricua. And you also Hawaiian Filipina too. So you you need to always state that everywhere you go. And I had to state it everywhere I go. So people always ask me, what are you anyway? So I was like, I'm new to this school. I'm running for secretary. And I kept that sentence in. Mind you also, my, my ex-boyfriend, um, he's black. Um, and I think he's actually mixed race. He, he's black and Cuban. So, but he, he was like, I, I'm telling you, don't say that sentence. I said it anyway. And I didn't win. It didn't win. I remember for years in high school, there were there were certain people that would see me, and these were my friends, the same friends that would call me SPIC, you know, and and change, like those those friends, right? And they would say, "Hi, my name is Tara Villanueva, and I'm Hawaiian, Filipino, and Puerto Rican." Every time they would see me, and they would they would make me feel horrible because everybody said to me after I said that speech, why would you include that? Like that matters. And so that's what I'm saying. Like, I think 14 year old Trinity, she knew she was dope. She, she had it. Like, <laughs> I think I'm, I'm still learning from her sometimes of how to empower myself because I think I was just so no filter. I, I didn't care. I didn't know any better. And I just was me. Awesome. 14 year old Trinity is like total badass. I mean, currently living in a predominantly white centered space that they don't see or even acknowledge anything other than being white or being black in this area. So I'm considered white in this area. So if I were to mention anything about, you know, about my heritage, my ancestry, they'd be like, why? What's the point? I don't see color. And when people come back and tell me that, I tell them, one, if you don't see color, you don't acknowledge my history. You don't acknowledge my heritage. You don't acknowledge my ancestry and who I am. You're not letting me be who I want to be. And how can I find the words to share who I am in my white-centered community? I don't know if you've come across that yet. That's a fantastic question. And I think that 
those conversations are to come. Um, I think that we want to continue to create this container that is built on grounding, safety, um, being able to share these kind of conversations. And also note that Mixed Collective had only started in November and we had already done so much. So these are really phenomenal topics to be able to bring up into that space. I'm gonna to have to think about that a little bit more. Trinity, do you have any thoughts directed on that? I think that the people that we have found right now and, and who have, I don't know, we, we always say law of attraction. The people we have attracted from the universe <laughs> seem to be very empowered. And like all of us, we struggle. We struggle internalize racism and all kinds of, you know, that little person that was silenced um, and siloed for so long. I think that that question has not come up in that way. But when we have had conversations with people in our, you know, in our one-on-ones or in our sessions or through email, it's almost underlined of how do we deal with it. And, 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 and to bring it, and I know that it's, it's, it's a different kind of, because it's not like white supremacy, but in white or black spaces, it's that, you know, that binary centered thing. Um, we had a, one of our people, I'm not going to disclose their name, but um, somebody who is part of our collective now, um, but they are a transracial adoptee. And they have had those kinds of, not questions, but those experiences that they've shared that are either being in black centered spaces or white centered spaces and like, where do they fit in? And they also have like a whole other layer that Ami and I don't have because, you know, they were adopted. So there's like all of these different marginalizations that occur. But I think that when you talk about youth and I wrote notes, <laughs> I've already got notes, right? I got notes about, I wrote colorism down because that's a topic that comes up a lot. Um, Americanization, that is also really huge too, especially when we talk about like multilingualism, bilingualism, um, multiculturalism and what that means and what that looks like here in a very Americanized, what does that even mean? That's a really, it's a colonization kind of deal. Not even just here in the US, but even in places like Mexico or like Puerto Rico, you know, yeah, we speak Spanish, but we don't speak our indigenous languages. They are dying, right? And that that's also just a sign of colonization. So what does that do to just the melting pot, right? And, and to the erasure of your culture and your identity. And I took notes on just ELLs. And sometimes I always tell my son, I'm like, you don't know how cool your mom is, okay? So like when you leave home and then you're gonna meet other people's parents, you're gonna be like, how come they're not like my mom? <laughs> no, I, I hear you. I, I feel exactly what you're saying. And yeah, when, one of the things that I see a lot in, in like, for example, in social media, when it comes to the use of the term Latinx, it's something that's becoming more and more prominent as, as we want to be more inclusive of our broader community and who we are, you know, that there is a way to, to, to try and make that attempt. Maybe not the perfect way, but there is a way to, to be as, as open and as inclusive as possible. And there's an older generation that is so angry and opposed to the X because they don't want to have their language changed. They don't want to have their, um, they, they don't want to be told who they are. 
And this is the generation that, that fought passionately in the 60s and 70s in the Chicano movement, for example, in California and in Texas. That would be like my parents' generation. They were big activists in, in the Chicano movement in San Antonio. And, um, you know, it makes me wonder, I don't know how an organization like Miss Collective can, can reach out and engage with an older generation, not, not to change them, because nobody needs to be changed. Nobody needs to be told, hey, this is what you're going to do. This is the word you're going to use. And we all, you, the three of us, I think we all know better than that. We, we're not going to impose that. But I don't know if there's some way perhaps we can create that dialogue with that generation to say, hey, you know, just, just the way you fought to be who you are and represent yourself culturally and, and through your language and your, your cultural expression, this is the younger generation that wants to do the same. Except it's not just a matter of speaking English or speaking Spanish. It's a matter of saying, this is my gender. This is who I am. This is what I choose to be. Yeah, I wonder if there's a way we can connect that kind of, of identity pride with, with cultural pride. Have you navigated any of that in, in Mixed Collective? Has that come up? Ami and I talk about, Ami, you're going to crack up laughing. <laughs> Narcolepsy. <laughs> like, I, <laughs> we, we talk about navigating these conversations with, like, specifically our parents. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> because, like, our parents are part of, like, either the older Gen X or the boomer generation. Mm -hmm. And like, it is those things, right? They fought in those decades, the sixties, the seventies, the eighties. And it's like, you know, they were vocalizing cause they were, they were younger. They had more energy. They cared more. They didn't um, completely assimilate maybe totally yet. Uh, they were proud of their identity and who they were just like we are. Right. Yeah. Um, but there's a part of them that not that died, but that there's a part of them that just sort of accept it, that this is the way that the world works, right? And so we, we say narcolepsy because they will say some woke stuff and you're just like, yeah, and you passed out. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> it's like, oh my God. I feel like the part of us that is energized and revitalized is that part of them that, that, that we learned and we inherited from them too. But definitely having those conversations with the older generations, and by older, I mean, I would say like, I don't know, maybe 55 and up mm -hmm. at this point, um, or 60s and up, because I, youth is just so evolving too these days, right? But it, it's, it is interesting to see how socially conscious they are on some topics but then there is that part that accepted that this is just the way that it is my father says i don't see color right and and when he says it i don't fault him i don't say oh you're a racist right well one he couldn't be anyway because that's a structured thing and we, we all know that um but but it's more of like dad why do you say those things and where do you come from and let's open up and have that brave and courageous conversation with them because like you said you can't change them, you know, and it, 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 I hate that. I hate that, um, that, that saying you can't teach an old monkey new tricks or whatever it is, but in a way it's like, I kind of, 
I kind of embrace it sometimes. I'm like, okay, I can't change them. But what I can do is I can make them maybe like peek through another perspective or another lens by having like a really nice approach, you know, so that it's not like the cancel culture or the attack um, where then they will completely shut down. Right. But I don't know, Ami, you, you want to talk about narcolepsy too? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I think in that conversation, one thing that really struck to me is like the theme of be allowing to be informed and taught by like history and experience. And I think that really helped me in having difficult conversations specifically with my mother. My mom being from Japan came from a very monoracial uh, country. And I think her identity was very solidified because of the people around her. And I think in having conversations about mixed race identity or Black Lives Matter, um, other topics about race in the United States, I think part of it is also understanding like what her perspective is and trying to be informed from her experience, her perspective, her histories that really allowed us to have much more deeper conversations about um, what does mixed race identity in Japan look like for white and Japanese person versus a Latinx and Japanese person, a black and Japanese person. And I think she's able to take those conversations and then talk about it with her friends and specifically her students because she is a teacher. So she's able to, for example, look at a curriculum with other Japanese students and be like, you know what? This textbook is racist. I'm just gonna tell them how it really is because it wasn't these white colonizers just came to America and were like, da da da. No, there was uh, so much harm that was caused towards native and indigenous people that this textbook didn't write about. So I'm gonna share about it. So I think it's really fantastic to kind of like first learn more about an individual's perspective and history and then being able to let that inform you in conversation. Also, I will note that not having caffeine and having this conversation, I apologize if I'm rambling, so. <laughs> I love your rambles, Ami. We, we have a lot of love between the two of us. We're, we're always giving all that love. And, it, and it's true, my mom, my mom was an educator for, for 38 years and she taught in um, Camden, New Jersey, which um, in the in the public schools, it was at that time, it was pretty much black. And she said to, and I remember walking in her room when I was younger, and it was awesome. It was like a, a, a full on collage, like on every single wall. And it was African American history. And I and I knew all of these things because of my mom. I didn't know too much about Puerto Ricans, but I knew a lot about African-Americans. And it was because she said to me, well, the books don't talk about it. And like the curriculum doesn't talk about it, but my kids are all pretty much black. So why would I teach them about all of these dead old white men when like they need to be, you know, like empowered by looking at people who look like them and that was my mom in the 70s and the 80s, you know, so that was like that people weren't doing that. My mom was and my mom didn't care that people weren't doing it either. She was just like she saw the need and she filled in those gaps. And that's why I always say, like, I think we take from our parents a lot of that energy that they had. But now it's just kind of like having just moving the, the pushing the needle forward even more and trying to get them and and like I love that Ami I'm gonna start doing that more with my mom of like really digging into like the histories and to have those open conversations 
both of your moms. <laughs> That's great to hear that. I mean, that just, that goes to tell me how inspiring they are as, as people that they have two amazing children right here, continuing that, that, that fight, you know, continuing that conversation. If not, maybe even igniting it from a different perspective. And that's, that's what we need. That's totally what we need. Shout out to the moms. Yeah. Shout out to the moms. moms. My mom's birthday is today, actually. Happy birthday. Happy birthday, mom. So yeah, shout out to to all the moms and and everything they do for us. Oh gosh. It's Women's History Month. It's so relevant. I know. As we mentioned about, you know, older generation, and you're right, it's not a matter of canceling their culture or, or changing them, because we're not going to change them. Nobody should ever have to be changed, regardless. But it's helping them see a different perspective. It's finding a way to, to develop that conversation and say, hey, you know, you, you folks have certainly earned your space and your place in history. We're not trying to change how you self-identify as Chicano, Chicana, whatever, Latino, Latina, Mexicana. It's a matter of saying, hey, you know, the the fight continues. And this is the next generation that's that's going to develop for the generation after that. We need to continue to foster that until we have a more equitable community. I see a lot being in, in eastern Washington is just now in the public school system, we're starting to talk about some of the things that your mother was bringing up in the 70s and 80s. Now, just kind of to, to share the love a little bit, are there any artists that you'd want to highlight, maybe have people look at that are a part of the Mix Collective, or maybe any books that you'd recommend, anything inspiring you to right now? So I would say Kimberly Ming is one of them. She is really cool. She also actually has a, a podcast, Mix Gen, um, but she is also a Latina Asian and she does a lot of things on Clubhouse as well. So if people wanted to find Kimberly Ming, then we also have um, another artist that we just did our first highlight on Instagram, uh, Nexus. And Nexus identifies as Black and Filipinx. Um, And Nexus is a storyteller and a dancer. We also would love if people knew of mixed racial artists who would like to do this, please let them know about this and they can reach out to us um, as well as the email would be great because we're going to be having a curated newsletter that goes out um, highlighting certain things. And we have um, one of our members who is an art curator and she's going to be helping us with those things. So we're we're expanding in very different ways, very organic ways and expansion is only as great as our members. So we wanna make sure that we have as many voices as possible to just help us be as strong as possible. Cause Miguel, then we're gonna do a podcast in like two, three years and we just gonna be like global and exploding. So just saying. You have an Instagram for Mixed Collective. Do you folks have a website? Do you have other social media we should plug? Anything else? 
So you can find us on social media at Mix Collective, M-I-X-T Collective on Instagram. You can also follow us on Facebook. We have a closed group where we're sharing links and resources and chatting with one another at Mixed Collective. You can also uh, email us at mixedcollective at gmail.com. And if you're interested in joining one of our events, we're having a healing and elevation session on March 27th at 3 p.m. EST. If you follow us on our socials, then you will see all these awesome artists highlighted throughout. So that is our part of our big, bigger plan that we, we really, really do want to bring attention to people of all sides of them. But thank you for your time. We're, we're so happy we finally made this happen. Thank you so much for having us. And we really look forward to expanding our mixed collective community. Gracias por joining Firme on the comeback episode with Ami, with Tara on Mixed Collective and all the work they're doing for people of mixed race. It's, again, I'm, I can't say it enough how inspired I am. Please follow them on their socials. Look forward to, to hopefully meeting with some of you folks on their events. It'll be great just to get together and to share our stories and to learn from each other and just just bounce that, that, that positive animo. Uh, with each other that'd be great and so camera cuentos are going to be coming back i have some german film in my camera right now with just a, fr a few frames left so that's going to be really good we'll talk about how how i how i'm enjoying that so camera cuentos are back firmes back andale pues it's spring yo <laughs> oh bueno <laughs>